Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to this third episode of The Failure of Christians, A Plea for Renewal. In this uh, particular episode, we're going to look at the special role of leaders in the church, not according to Kent, not according to Church Doctor Ministries, but according to the Bible. And so let's get started. The role of leaders in the church. It just seems like there's a huge misunderstanding, a biblical misunderstanding of what leaders are really supposed to focus their time and their energy on. And so I see pastors and I see staff in churches and I see even leaders that are volunteer leaders in the congregation, people that have another job but uh, part-time committed to a ministry in the church. I just see these people burned out so often. They're running around, they're tired, they're doing all this work. And the issue behind the issue, we need to look at the Bible. And the issue is that being a leader is to make decisions, to pray, to think beyond, to imagine beyond what the rest of the people do. But it's not the uh, purpose of the leader to work themselves to burnout. And it's because many people have just got it wrong according to God's plan. It's not only hurting the church, but it's hurting the leaders. So let's take a look at leaders in the body of Christ. In Ephesians 4, there is this wonderful description that God has given special gifted people to the church. They're not better than other people, and they don't have better gifts than other people, but they have a different role. They have a different purpose, and this purpose is strategic for the way the church is going to move forward. That purpose is very, very important. It's to equip God's people for the work of ministry. Now, let's be clear about this. It doesn't say that these people with these special gifts are to do the ministry, but as they do ministry, they're to be constantly equipping and multiplying themselves. That's called discipling. And these key people have that primary calling to equip God's people, all of God's people for the work of ministry. Now, I hear about staff-led churches. Now, if that means that the staff are free to lead the church with decision-making, that's great. Leadership leads. That's part of the biblical description of leadership. Everything rises and falls on that leadership. That's one thing. But if a staff-led church means that the staff is doing all the ministry or most of the ministry, and they're not equipping people and multiplying themselves, equipping people to do ministry, then that kind of staff-led church leads to burnout among the key leaders, and it leads to ineffectiveness of the church. Why? Because it just is not part of God's plan. So here's what it says in Ephesians 4, that God has given special gifts to the church. Who are they? Pastors and teachers, evangelists, apostles, and prophets. That's it. Those are the special roles of those who are in the leadership category. And so what are they supposed to do? According to Ephesians 4, they're not supposed to do all the work. They're leaders. They guide the church. They direct the church. They are those who have special gifts to do that. But their main role, according to Ephesians 4, is to equip God's people for the work of ministry. So even as they do ministry, they're to be equipping someone else 
to do that ministry. In other words, work themselves out of a job again and again and again and again. It also means they should never do ministry alone. So if one of these items is your calling, your gifting, pastor, teacher, evangelist, apostle, prophet, and that's in your gift mix, one of those leader gifts, then you need to be constantly multiplying yourself. That is discipling. Now, let me just talk about the word disciple for a minute. A lot of people think that disciple is a learner. A disciple is not a learner. Otherwise, you could disciple people by preaching to a crowd of a hundred or more, a thousand, whatever. The truth is you can't disciple a crowd. Jesus discipled 12, and that was Jesus, and he took three years. So it's a crazy idea to think that people are discipled because they sit in church once a week or twice a week, or they attend a Bible class. Those are good things to do, but they're not for the purpose of discipling. That's for the purpose of worship and learning, and that learning is for people who are discipled. It is a supplement to discipling people for ministry. The word disciple is not best translated as a learner, but it's best translated as an intern. An intern is someone who is someday going to be involved in the work. And so it really depends on how you define the people of the church. Because if you call church members members, well, church members go to church, but disciples go to work. And that work is a key for the explosion of the church and the longevity of our leaders. In other words, we don't kill them off by working them to death. So the whole concept in the Bible is multiplication and the development of a spiritual army on the offensive, not the defense and not business as usual, not maintenance, but mission. You see, the local church is not a country club or a spiritual restoration mechanism. It is a base camp to change the world. And it just is all about what Jesus and his mission really means. Jesus came for one reason, to change the world. He had one strategic way to do that. And that strategic way is to disciple people. That is the strategy of multiplication. So what is the mission and the target for that mission? What is the target for ministry? Well, the church leader's calling, the calling for pastor, teacher, evangelists, apostles, and prophets, that calling is not to run the organization, but to grow the church. Not just to grow the church, but to disciple people, to change people who change their church, who change their city, who change their nation, who change the world. So no matter who you are, if you are a leader, senior pastor, or if you are a Sunday school teacher and you lead your Sunday school class, if you are a young person, if you're a new member of a church, this is for everyone. Don't waste one hour maintaining the machine. Don't let the rage of the machine sidetrack your divine purpose. We're to be on the offense, not the defense. You know, you won't win the world by defending the truth. Jesus' truth really doesn't need your defense. It is powerful. It is dynamite. It is the power unto salvation, and the word power is translated from the word we get, dynamite. It is powerful by itself. 
So don't spend all your time defending Jesus or your church. Defense does not win wars, and we are at war with an enemy. Offense wins war. But good generals, good leaders, equip people for their duty according to their gifts. So be strategic. Offload all that self-serving, time-wasting effort that is so much a part of so many lives of pastors and teachers, evangelists, apostles, and prophets. That's not your primary calling. And don't get hung up on church meetings. Most church meetings are much ado about nothing. They are way too long, they're way too often, and they're way too boring, and they don't accomplish that much. Your greatest accomplishment, your accomplishment lens, if you want to measure it, is who is the person that you are equipping? And how are you multiplying yourself? And how many people have you multiplied? How many people have you then, through those people, collectively reached for eternity? How would you be at that description, at that lens of effectiveness, that measurement, that goal? the eternity of other people. Jesus didn't rise up a staff. He rose up an army of multipliers. One of the areas that's really important in this whole situation is finances. Finances, according to the Bible, it's amazing to me, after consulting so many churches, and our other consultants say the same thing, that church people generally literally waste so much time on fundraising activities to make money to run the church machine. It's it's incredible. Jesus didn't do that. The Bible teaches that it's all about generous giving. Most Christians have no clue about generous giving. But here's the issue. First of all, it says in the Bible, you can't outgive God. In fact, Jesus says, this is something you should test. Just see if God doesn't pour out all of his riches upon you. But you got to take the step in faith to give and give generously, give beyond sacrificially give to what God wants you to do, wants the church to do. Honestly, if every Christian would financially give according to Bible guidelines, according to Bible guidelines, you would never need to hawk your wares, your baked goods, or get funds from unbelievers to run your machine. Jesus never sponsored a spaghetti dinner to fund a mission. He taught followers people who were believers, people who were committed to give generously, and he taught them to do mission. That's it in a nutshell. So here's the question. What are you going to do? What is God saying to you, and what are you going to do about it? You know, for many people at various stages of life, but particularly those people that have gotten a little older, have raised kids, and are on a different path, this is a time for them that is a time for legacy support at every level. Let me explain what I mean. What are you doing with your material wealth, your material gifts? You can't take them with you. You can't take them beyond the grave. So how are you investing in the improvement of Christianity, the growth of local churches? How are you investing in the mission of your church? And not just your church, but beyond your church. How are you investing in reaching your community your world? How are you investing in the improvement of churches? You know, you have special gifts, not only material gifts, but financial gifts, spiritual gifts. And what you want to do is you want to use that for something much better, much stronger, much more important. 
than making a buck. It's not about that. There are things more precious, they're called people, than buying commodities. God gave you gifts. He gave you talents. He gave you resources, not just to buy stuff, but to contribute to something that is greater than yourself. And the kingdom movement is the greatest you can imagine. There isn't anything greater. So here's some takeaways, some things that you should be praying about. If you haven't already, discover your gifts for the challenges we face and use them. God's given you gifts. That's the way the body of Christ is deployed and energized. So discover your gifts, hone those gifts, and use them. And if you don't know what your unique gifts that God has given you, if you don't know what they are, then you're part of the problem, not part of the solution. And so take a survey on spiritual gifts. Learn and then understand what your gifts are and let your gifts be part of the solution, not your ignorance be part of the challenge. And in the area of funding, fund ministries that have impact for renewal. Fund your church, but then go beyond that, beyond your church. Invest in ministries that help churches and help churches to get into renewal. Fund those ministries that are focused on empowering churches for renewal. This is a huge, huge challenge in our nation. Churches desperately need to be renewed. They are not as productive as God intended. The Christian movement desperately needs a resurrection. And there are agencies that encourage renewal. And they desperately need investors. Partner with those agencies. Another thing that is a good takeaway is discourage the real enemy, not your neighbors, not your fellow Christians. The real enemy is Satan. Don't fight with other people in your church. Don't criticize those who are unbelievers. These are people for whom Christ died. Jesus has a plan for you in this approach. And that plan is to love them into the kingdom. Fight Satan, not sinners. Remember what Jesus said on the cross? They don't know what they're doing. So give them a break. Show the love that Jesus shows to sinners. And remember, none of us is perfect either. We're not different because we're perfect. We're different because we're forgiven. So as a church, we need to mobilize the troops for strategic attack, to move into the marketplace, and to make a difference. You know, the best church is the one that operates with an understanding that the church of Jesus is the hope of the world. And that church is a church full of people that understand that the time is crucial the clock is ticking. The nation is deteriorating. The call for revival is urgent. It begins with renewal of the church, and that begins with you. For heaven's sake, and yes, for heaven's sake, don't blow it. Let me pray for you. Lord, these are hard words. They're prophetic words. Prophetic words we know, Lord, challenge us all. We don't like to be challenged always. But I pray, Lord, that these words, honestly spoken in love, with deep concern for your kingdom's sake, these words would touch the hearts and lives of all of us, that we would be those people that operate according to our gifts. And if we are one of those people that are not better, just different, those who are pastors, those who are teachers, 
those evangelists, those that are apostles, those who are prophets, not because we're so clever, not because we're so strong, not because we've had a certain education, but on the basis of the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to us. For those people, Lord, give them the strategy that you have put in your divine word, the scripture, in Ephesians 4, that our first and foremost role is to equip, equip, equip. Lord, I I pray for those who are these kind of leaders in churches across the world, that we would abandon the idea that we are supposed to do ministry and somehow we are more faithful by burning ourselves out. Lord, I pray that you'll instill in us the model that you practiced to equip others to do ministry, to multiply ourselves, to never ever do ministry by ourselves. And Lord, I know that these kinds of people, these pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, and prophets, Lord, I know they're busy people. And I know this challenge of, oh no, I got one more thing to do to equip someone else, disciple one other person, one more at a time, all the time. It's just one more thing on my long list. And Lord, I pray that we will have the faith to trust you and trust what you say in this area, to trust the scripture in this area, and that we will discern those things that waste our time. And Lord, that we will have the spiritual insight to say no in a gentle way to things that really don't change the world. The busyness of the machine that we call church that somehow gets turned into a busy machine. And Lord, I I pray for those who struggle with work overload. And I pray that this wonderful insight would liberate them to the concept of multiplication and that we would all have the faith to trust you, Lord, that what you say is true, that if we did multiply ourselves, we would in a way change our role, but we would see how powerful it really is, not just for our sake, Lord, but for your kingdom's sake that it not only puts us in the right position, Lord, but help us to see and understand, to clearly practice your plan for leaders in the church. Lord, I lift them up to you today and ask that you would move in their lives to take this big step, which for many is a big change in their operational approach. Lord, give us the wisdom, the insight, the faith to take that step. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.